um, studies of the brain show that if you practice meditation, mindfulness, or prayer, mm -hmm. like uh, 15 to 20 minutes a day, at least four days a week, that that's going to keep your reactiveness at a minimum. You know, there's no balance. A relationship is supposed to be give and take, but a toxic relationship, it's one-sided. When we know we're doing good, we then we can feel better about ourselves. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. Today, the topic is toxicity unveiled, healing and thriving in divorce and marriage and even friendship. And we are with Jenny Alexander, who's the author of Breaking Free from Toxicity, and she is a relationship recovery advocate. Welcome, Jenny. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Awesome. I'm so glad to meet you. I'm really excited about this topic, actually. Oh, great. I am, too. <laughs> We do, uh, I do a ton of work with people, uh, with couples, men in particular who want to save their marriage and also uh, with people getting divorced and toxicity is the common thread in, with all the people that I work with and to have an expert on the show. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> it's a win-win. <laughs> Absolutely. So the question, the first question I always ask my guests is how did your heart lead you to become a relationship recovery advocate to and to, you've written several but by the way jenny's written a bunch of books and there are <laughs> a list of we're going to list them in the notes but how did your heart lead you to, to do this work um well I, strangely enough well i've always liked to write um but then shortly after my divorce about 11 years ago um i had a dream to start writing books to help other people with relationship issues. I was reading a Henry Cloud and John Townsend book, and that's when the thought just kind of dropped into me. <laughs> As I was recovering from divorce, I'm like, hey, I want to write books to help people just like they're doing. Um, Sweet. And then I started writing um, on medium.com uh, last summer. And anyway, and then those articles, many of those articles turned into books. And so, and I, and I've, and I'm passionate about the topics I've written about because I've lived them. Yeah, you have, you're divorced and uh, remarried and I, mm -hmm. I assume thriving in that relationship. Oh yes. Yeah. It's, it's a um, night and day different. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. No, I've been there myself. I am also divorced and remarried, remarried almost 24 years now. Oh, I don't know. And, uh, it's, you know, it, it's funny because. Even though in the first marriage, even though I got rid of her toxicity when I divorced her, mm -hmm. you know, it didn't go away. What? It was my stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, like when you're getting divorced, it's all their fault. They're right. narcissists. They're so awful. Thank God I'm getting away from them. It wasn't, I wasn't always like that. I'm exaggerating in the divorce. Yeah, I know. Actually, I actually had a pretty quick divorce. I had a coach who talked me through that stuff I was just mentioning. Okay. That stuff going on. But what, what's funny is, you get through it, and then you think, you, you then you meet the man or woman of your dreams, and you think, oh, everything is going to be so different. And what happens? Your own stuff starts coming up again, and you find yourself, you know, recreating uh, not the same problems, but s similar flavor. You know, right? It's like, um, it's all a big learning experience. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about toxicity. There, there's an ours. 
You know, um, we were saying before the show started, I was mentioning that out there in the great world of social media, there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity. And actually, right. a lot of the work that I do with men to help them save their marriages is to teach them how to stop being toxic men and and start being um, nurturing servant leaders in their marriages, you know, and, and, right. you know, to, to, and still, and to know what it means to be a man, right? Yeah. The toxic masculinity comes out of confusion about what it means to be a man. So yeah. I'd love to know more about how you define toxicity uh, and how it shows up in the different areas of life in divorce, marriage, and even friendship. Yeah. I would say um, toxicity is anything, any type of relationship that is unhealthy, that that makes you feel bad, that drains you, drains your energy, and is unequal. You know, there's no balance. A relationship is supposed to be give and take, but a toxic relationship, it's one-sided. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, the big things, I would think. And what are some of the behaviors that we might, that might funnel into that that be that relationship uh well a big one is gossip <laughs> um i mean and we all gossip i guess from hey, we did don't... i tell you about the last person i interviewed no oh i'm not going to oh, okay <laughs> don't gossip no that's right well that's right excellent but yeah like um when you're in a toxic relationship um gossip just naturally seems to come out and there's a lot of drama and um just like if you were to have a complaint about that person and you, about their behavior, something they did that offended you or upset you, and you tried to talk to them, they'd turn it around on you and say it was your fault. They'd get mad at you. And um, yeah, so those are some signs that a relationship is not healthy. And you just feel bad when, you, when you're around them. They don't uplift you. They compete with you. Um, yeah, I would, I would, those are the, those are subtle. Can I can I share some of the obvious ones? Yeah, yeah. I, I think some of the really obvious ones is, it, it, I find that in a lot of relationships, there's permission to be loud and yell and scream. Um, right. That is rarely positive or effective. No, no. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, well, you know, there's great makeup sex afterwards. It's like, well, but even that, even that stops after a while. Right. It, there's a... Uh, when people get into a dynamic with each other where one or both is got that level of anger where they're going to win and the other person's going to lose, there's yeah. no, in that, in that context, there's almost no opportunity for a positive outcome. Right. That's true. I, I, I get, I've had couples uh, where one person says, goes, wow, well, how about time? And the other one goes, oh, yeah, you're right. And then the person who went blah, blah, blah says, I know I'm right. And let me tell you something, instead of seeing that they've been acknowledged, you know, they're so on a roll with their anger and their blame that they don't even see that there was, there was like a, a surrender and an opportunity there. You know, when you were in that space, that's the obvious stuff. Right. I like your examples. Um, it sounded like not just turning things that you say around on you, but uh, we, we, you could probably even throw in their gaslighting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and another big one is a lack of responsibility. They're not going to ever say they're wrong, which is kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. Um, I was reading this book 
the other half of the church, which is all about the right the right side of the brain. Okay. And, and it was a criticism of religion in general, the criticism of religion in general, but this the context here was specifically Christianity, uh, is that um, churches are very, they have systems and the way they do things and they create small groups, but they've sort of forgotten the right side of the brain, which is all about creativity and emotion and connection. Uh, right. Basically, the point the author made is that any time that we go negative, that we feel hurt, or angry, we have slipped into a form of narcissism. Hmm. Right, so you don't have to be diagnosed as a narcissist. No, that's and, true. It makes sense, right? Because if I feel hurt, it's like, oh, it's all about me. That's, that's, we don't have a right to feel hurt. That's true. But when that hurt is expressed as blame. Yeah. Yeah. Never thought of it that way before, but it's true. I, I, thought, I, for, I read that. I never thought of it that way either. I was just like, wow, yeah. that, that yeah. blew my mind. So that we see yeah. that a lot, not not only in organizations but in relationships. All right, so yes. you're in a friendship, or a divorce, or a marriage, and you're seeing or experiencing some form of toxicity. What do you do? Um, you, uh, I would not. I would suggest not reacting, <laughs> like, like not like flipping out or, like. You really need, in those type of situations, before you end any type of relationship, you really need to process it and think about it and make sure it's like truly toxic and truly not the best for you. Like you don't just want to be like second guessing all your relationships. You want to make sure that it's really, because I know when I was in, even in, when I was in my marriage, it took me year, like it was bad. Like there's infidelity and everything. I could have left a long, lot longer or a lot sooner, I should say, but I I had to take the time to really figure it out, and and even when the writing was on the wall, I I had to make sure. Mm-hmm. So wow, that sounds like it was really painful. It was. It <laughs> yeah. Like you very committed. Also, you like you. T- I I'm guessing you're the kind of person who takes their their vows and their commitments very seriously. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't. Plus, I didn't. Who wants to be divorced? But I really didn't want to be divorced, and you know. I hung in there as long as I could until it was just like totally unbearable and unhealthy. And it's like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I think that's kind of really important point there. Are, I think we have a lot of listeners who take their commitments very seriously and they feel that tension between their own pain and mm-hmm. the abuse that they're experiencing and yeah. hoping and hoping that it's going to change. Right. Right. Um, one thing that helped me um, is a one of my counselors had said the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Is which behavior? Um, so the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Ah. So. Yeah, but at the same time, I, I, I like to be an optimist. Yeah, of course. I, I like to be an optimist. And the truth is that it, when you're in a relationship with someone who is behaving in a way that's to- toxic consistently. Yeah. Um, the the the, re- the pattern usually is that they're deflecting, as you said, any sense of responsibility. And so they have no motivation for changing. Right. Because the problem is who? It's it's you. Of course. <laughs> in, their, in their mind. Yeah, right. Definitely. And so 
um, you're, let's say that you're someone who is in a marriage. Let's walk this all the way through. Let's say you're someone who's in a marriage and you're in a relationship like this and you've been hanging in there and you've got children with this person. Right. And so you, not only do you take your commitment really seriously, but family is a super high value for you. Yeah. Your kids through that. How do you know when enough is enough? That's really hard because it's, it's individual. Like it, it's different for everybody. I guess um, when you see, when you see no evidence of them wanting to change, um, when you just feel terrible like all the time, it's affecting your health. You can't sleep. You're losing weight. Yeah. You can't concentrate, and you're just like emotionally dead. That's how I felt. I felt emotionally dead. And at that point, there's you know there's going to be the impact on the children. I mean, if you're right. if you can't charge your own battery. Yeah, that's true. How do you show up for them? Right, that's true. Plus, they're you know you start to wonder, are these the kind of be the kind of behaviors that I want modeled for my children? Right, that's true. Yeah, when you have children, I had a stepdaughter at the time, so of course I was considerate of her. But it was yeah, it was difficult. It's it definitely is more difficult when you have children in the picture. So you so you make the decision. Yeah. Um. You know, I've hung in here as long as I can. By the way, for me, um, I was five years into my first marriage. I realized something was really, really wrong. Right. And uh, but I thought, like yourself, family super high value. I take my commitment seriously. I'm going to do everything I can to make this work. Yeah. Um, and five years after that, I, like ten years later, right. I I finally threw in the towel. Yeah. And I often wonder, you know, why did I? Why didn't I see how foolish that was? But yeah, uh, and at the same time, I think when you have those kind of values, you have to give it your best shot. You do, yeah, because you don't want to be regretful. You don't want to be down the road and think, "Oh, could I have made it work?" Because you, and the, you know what? The funny thing is, I'm sure this happens to you too. Every now and then, I think maybe there was something I missed, like some sliver. All right. So you, anyway, you get to that point and you decide to get divorced. How do you? deflect um toxicity in the divorce process because now you've gone from you've gone from uh guerrilla warfare to open arm your armageddon style warfare in, in the divorce process so like the process itself uh encourages or if you're in litigation anyway to some extent encourages even more right ramping up well thankfully i don't have too much experience on that end the, the divorce itself was kind of smooth as far as divorces go but yeah if if you do have a situation where there's like i don't have experience in that much but make sure you have support i think that would be the biggest thing whether it's your family friends or you know a support group like divorce care you need support in that kind of situation even more i would think mm -hmm. and i'm curious um how much of your own toxicity do you experience did you experience in the divorce process and how did you manage it and I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Could you could you repeat the question? Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, well, let me let me reframe it even. Okay. Uh, instead of re re you know, my own experience of the divorce process was that I had all kinds of uh, frustration and right. and fear um, about the financial future of my children. And right. Else, uh, and I had all kinds of negative emotion. We'll call it. Okay, yeah. And and that could have expressed itself with far more frequency 
as um, blame and anger and criticism and snarkiness and sarcasm. Right. Uh, but I, actually, because I did get help, it was I was able to minimize it with the help mm -hmm. that I got. Yeah. And I'm curious what your experience of that was. In yeah. The process. Well, I was I had a lot of counseling and I'm sure that helped. Mm -hmm. And my church at the time was also pretty supportive. And I remember my pastor praying for me that I would not get bitter. And I don't believe that I, I don't believe that I did anyway. Um, I could have, at least I could have been way more bitter. <laughs> um, and just having um, family and, you know, normal people around me. Because <laughs> I felt, I felt when I left that marriage, like everyone, how, how is everyone so normal now? Yeah. <laughs> Such an abnormality. It sounds like you have a pretty solid prayer life too. I try. <laughs> yeah, well, that's actually um, studies of the brain show that if you practice meditation, mindfulness, or prayer, mm -hmm. like uh, 15 to 20 minutes a day, at least four days a week, that that's going to keep your reactiveness at a minimum. So, right, right. And even like just throwing out whether there's a God listening to you or not. Yes. Simple act of doing it. Yes. Of praying, meditating, or practicing mindfulness will... It, it shrinks the part of your brain that's reactive and grows the part that's right. Yeah, I, I know. I I journal. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But go ahead. You journaled. Uh, yeah, I journaled a lot, and I'm I'm sure that really helped get my emotions on paper. And all right, now so now let's move on to the third group. So we've done, um, we've done marriage and divorce. How about even friendship? How does how do we manage toxicity even in friendship? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Um, Friendships can get so toxic that you need to end them. And um, I, I definitely have been through that. And again, that's something that I had to really think about. And like, is this really the right, like, why am I so unsettled with these relationships that I've had, like my whole, practically my whole life? Like, yeah. it was after my divorce, I started to gain self-respect. I started to realize, hey, these friendships aren't necessarily right for me. Yeah. And I, I realized I was, we didn't have much in common anymore and it was just very unhealthy. And, and so again, I had to take time and really like think about it. Like I couldn't just, you know, throw away, like almost, you know, throw away decades of friendship. Mm. And, but then I started to realize, you know, we didn't have anything in common and they were one-sided, et cetera. And I realized I had a choice in who I spent time with. I didn't have to spend time with people that didn't serve me. I mean, we don't, we're in relationships to be served. It's it's a two way thing, right? Yes. But yeah. But it needs to be two way. Yeah, and it wasn't, and it and it, and in some ways, it maybe never was. <laughs> so. So it sounds like some of those friendships you felt like uh, you were giving, doing all the giving. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe you weren't as respected as you could be in some of those. No, things. definitely not. No. No. So, yeah, and so it, I w was thinking around, like, shortly after my divorce, like, oh, wait a minute, are these good friends? But I, it was years later that I actually made a change in there, in that rela those relationships, too. So yeah. Well, that makes sense, though. I mean, you first you removed yourself from a really toxic primary relationship, mm -hmm. and that... That that declaration, that stand, that change that you made start had like has a ripple effect and start that, you start to it starts to move through all the other areas of your life. Yep, it does. And 
I'm, it's this is probably the answer is probably not that different than when I asked about the marriage. But I'm curious, uh, what are some of the qualities of friendship that are toxic that we want to look out for? Yeah. Um, actually, in my book, um, I list 20, <laughs> 20 that I could come up with from my own experience. But uh, lack of responsibility, um, when you confront them with a particular behavior, they'll be upset and turn it on you. <laughs> uh-huh. Or, you know, drama, gossip um, about each other's friends. And uh, I'm just going to ignore the phone. <laughs> um, we don't care. Oh, good. Um, and what are some other ones? Like being untruthful, like you don't you don't know if you can trust them, and they they only ever tell you what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear. Oh, that's really that's really good. Yeah, because most of us, most people that I know, love those those friendships. Yes, right. The, the, the mutual admiration friendships. Right. But a, a, a real friendship, a real friend will call you out. They will. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, my best friend every now and then says stuff to me like, Hey, you got, you got to stop doing that. That's, that's not going to help you. Right. You know, if what you would say you want is this doing, doing this, that behavior in your life really isn't going to help you. And yeah. I go, Oh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a little tap on the head, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. important. And important to be able to receive it. Right. Kudos to you for having people like that in your life. Yes. (laughs) So tell us more about the book and how people can find it. Yeah. So the book, um, actually, I have it right here. Uh, This is only my proof copy, but this is what it looked like. It's it's a little fuzzy because of that. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. There, there, bring it it up that way. Not too high, a little lower. In front of your face, even though we love your face. (laughs) <laughs> there it is. We got it. Breaking free on oh. toxicity. Nice cover. Thank you. Chip evaluation guide. That's right. So this is a guide. It's not like a big fat novel. It's like 60 pages. Uh-huh. And um, I can read you the contents, the table, like just the titles of each chapter. There's only 10. Mm-hmm. I can go through some of them. Like I um, start off by uh, describing what friendship is. Because there's different categories and different definitions of friendship. Um, I talk about how the Bible views friendship. Uh-huh. And that might be interesting to anyone. <laughs> um, I talk about what happens when a friendship becomes toxic. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I want to know. How does the Bible describe friendship? Oh, uh, well, I went to the book of Proverbs. And I, I just did a short study. But um, I looked up the first three instances of the word friends in the Bible. So just, you know, for those of you who are listening, the book of Proverbs covers at least three religions that, you know, right. It's, it's, the, the, it's Judaism, uh, yeah. Muslim faith includes the book of Proverbs and Christianity. So they like, right. this is some really widespread old knowledge here. What, what are some of the stuff right. you found? Well, here, the very first verse with the word, I mean, there's also the word friend and friendship, but I cho- chose friends. So the, the first verse on friendship or friends is Proverbs twelve twenty six, uh-huh. and it might be familiar to some of your listeners, but it says the righteous should choose his friends carefully, mm-hmm. for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Mm-hmm. And then um, here's another one: Proverbs fourteen twenty says his own neighbor hates the poor man, but the rich has many friends. Yeah. And oh. the 
and a lot of that lines up with there's a lot of popular stuff out there in social media that we are only as strong as the five people we spend the most time with. yes i've heard that yeah that's that's like that comes right out of that proverb those proverbs that's right that's right and the the third verse that i talk about is proverbs 16:28 and it says a perverse man sows strife and a whisper separates the best of friends oh that's right where we started gossip yes exactly yeah, I like it. I like <laughs> and, it. Well and I do, I do talk about what our role in the toxic friendships are because it takes two, so we play a part too. What we have responsibility, we're not just victims. I know, <laughs> hard to believe, isn't it? Oh no, let's let's very quickly. What's our role? Well, I suggest a few things in here, um, like our role, like maybe we hang on to these friendships because we need to feel needed. Mm. Maybe we are afraid of being alone. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe, um, we're desperate for love and we hang on to these relationships, even if they aren't loving, they might appear that way. And so I don't know. So, sometimes, no, sometimes, uh, behaviors feel like love because maybe we experience them in our childhood with, you know, in our home of origin. Yeah. We associate that particular toxicity with love, even if it isn't really loving. Right. Or maybe it was loving when we were kids, but the way that it's being delivered to us now isn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, yeah, and this is a this is a book for evaluating friendships. Yes, yeah, and another one I have is low self esteem. I definitely had low self esteem. I started to gain self esteem and self respect after my marriage, which is then when I realized my friendship circle wasn't necessarily the best. But but yeah, if you have low self esteem, you're going to attract necessarily. Not necessarily people that are good for you. And I've heard the best way to build self-esteem is to do esteemable acts. Yeah. Not that we're good people by doing esteemable acts, but that we, yes. uh, we you know, when we when we know we're doing good, we then we can feel better about ourselves. Right. So that's something somebody told me that worked really well for me. He said, go out and do something good for someone else and don't tell anyone. Right. And that was like the hardest thing in the world because I wanted everyone to tell me what a great guy I was. Right. For a while, it got into a ha it became a habit of just doing yeah. it for other people and not telling anyone about it. Yeah. And I, and I could just sort of cherish, oh, look, look, look who I'm becoming. You know, yeah. that was what was sweet about that. How can people find the book and how can people find you, Jenny Alexander? Yes. It's, um, well, the book is on Amazon, mm -hmm. Amazon.ca, Amazon.com or wherever you are in the world. Um, so just go there. You can look up my name and you can you can look up the title here um, or you can go to my website and it will link you to the Amazon. And your website is? Um, it's very easy to remember. JennyEAlexander.com. JennyEAlexander.com. And for those of you who aren't fast writers, all of that will be in the notes of the podcast <laughs> and video blog. And uh, you'll be able to find Jenny through us. Jenny, the question I ask everyone at the end of the show is, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? Yes. Well, um, one of the legacies I want to leave is um, that of an overcomer. I Like, I don't want people, I, I guess I want to encourage people to feel like they can be, they can overcome whatever si situation they find themselves in. I don't, I don't want to be a victim. I want to be, you know, a victor. I don't want to be an overcomer. And that's the legacy I want to leave. And, and I've left some of that legacy in my books. Victors, <laughs> not victims. I've heard that somewhere before. I love yeah. it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, this has been really good. I think you've helped a lot of people today. I'm glad. I hope so. <laughs>